So today, I just want to, um, actually, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. They do fit in with, my, they do fit in with my, my sermon, but it'll take a while for you to click, okay? All right, so when we were growing up, we, you know, we, mum and dad weren't really very rich because they chose to be pastors, and back in their day, you know, you'd, well, some of us still, you know, it's a bit of a struggle, and um, I remember one Christmas, looking back, it's funny how you don't see it at the time, but looking back as an adult, you see it, must have been a little bit tight, and my father, who was always real quite a handyman, and used to pick stuff up the dump, picked up this, back in the day when you did this sort of thing, you know, Saturday morning, our team was to the dump to scrounge what you could find, you know. Anyway, he picked up this go-kart and he hid, he must have hidden it from us somehow and worked on it at night when we were in bed and he painted it up and he, because my dad's got a weird sense of humour, he sort of put little silly, painted silly little slogans across the sides of it. Remember this? Yeah. And he, and he, he, he put a, oh, he put a bit of rope on for us, help you steer it and he, and he stuck a bit of wood that was like a lever that you, you could use as a brake. And when they pulled it out Christmas morning, we thought, we thought it was fantastic. My brothers loved it. And uh, the oldest of my two brothers, Bryce, was a real daredevil. Poor Craig, three years younger, I think, got dragged along with a lot of it. <laughs> and uh, he didn't really have a choice because Bryce wasn't scared of anything. And so poor Craig, three years younger, just got to, to put up with speed and danger and terrible stuff. But anyway, we lived at the end of this cul-de-sac. Uh, well, we were the second to ha- last house, and it was a really steep hill. And uh, if you didn't turn down our driveway, you probably would have ended up in the gorse bushes at the end of the at the end of the road. And then our driveway was extremely steep. You know, I mean, the the roadway was sort of roof height at the front, and double-storied at the back, and so it was, it was steep, and at the, at the end of that was another steep bank that my parents ended up terracing because it was so, with lots and lots of hard work, um, because it was so incredibly steep, and being the oldest, it was my job to stand at the top of the hill and watch for cars and let them know when it was safe to go, and they would go down down the footpath on the other side of the road, then across the road, down our driveway, and they'd have to turn at the bottom or they'd end up down over the bank. And they away they would go on this thing, and I don't think the brake, even though Dad put the brake on, I'm sure the brake was hardly, it was never used. And it probably cost my parents virtually nothing to give us that Christmas gift, but it was valued. When I was 10, I got a bike. It was a tradition in our family that when you were at your 10th birthday, you got a bike. And it was brand new, and it was purple. And it was back in the days where gears were not 
popular. We're not, we're brand new. And this thing had three gears. And I thought, oh, this is the bees. And it had, it was purple and it had a white basket on the front. And it had three bright flowers on the front of this white basket. And I thought I was the bee's knees with it. And I'm sure that all my brothers and sisters not, were jealous, not, not of the bike, because they wouldn't, the boys wouldn't have wanted a purple bike with a white basket and flowers on the front, but, but of the fact that I got the bike first, you know. But they had to wait because the promise was that you got a brand new bike for you on your 10th birthday. And I got to enjoy it before they did. It's my one claim to fame, I think. You know, a gift doesn't matter what it cost, it's what value you put on it. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about the gift of grace. And I know that it's a subject that if you've been in church for a wee while, you might know a lot about, but I just want today for you to value it a little bit more before you leave, yeah? Because grace will do for you what you value it for, okay? And these are really weird verses in the Bible. You know, it's one of those verses, quite a few weird verses, really, when we've, if we're honest about it, right? It's one of those verses that if it's in your daily Bible reading, you sort of read over it quickly and get to something else that you actually understand. Because, you know, it's a weird verse to put there in the middle of something there, God. And what I want to do today is sort of have a look at one of these weird verses and unpack it a little bit with you. Is that all right? I've entitled my sermon today, Grace Robbers. Right, so we're going to do that. Can we have that first slide up, please? Thank you. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews Hebrews is a complicated book anyway, isn't it, eh? Yeah? One of those books you stick away from if you can help it. Yeah? You see, I know. Hebrews 12, verse 15 to 16. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Do you know that it's our job to look after each other? Make sure that everyone receives the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as a firstborn son for a single meal. Okay. I'm going to make sense of this before you leave, okay? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Okay, let's have a look. First of all, we're going to have a look at the second part of the verse because, I don't know, it's just easier for me. So we're going to go second, but we're going to look at Esau. Who knows who Esau is? Hands up. Okay, about half of you. Okay, that's probably what I thought. Okay, so we're going to have a look, a little glimpse at the story of Esau. Esau was a was a twin. He was the oldest twin, and he had a brother, Jacob, and there was a lot of sibling rivalry in this family, okay? But as the oldest twin, he had the rights, because it was cultural back in those days, to, to gain the biggest inheritance from the family. He got what they called the firstborn blessing. So he got the whole sham 
Muzel, the whole, the whole bang lot. But with it came the responsibility of caring for the family, okay? And so he, he was entitled to this firstborn blessing. And I think that, well, I know that Jacob was a little bit jealous of this, all right? So we're going to pick up the story in, uh, can we go to the next slide, please? And in Genesis chapter 25, and it says, One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said to him, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. This is a bizarre story. I mean, who would give up the whole of your inheritance for a lentil stew. No offences if there's anyone here who's vegetarian, but my daughter's just married a big hulking Samoan bloke, and right before the wedding, we went on the Daniel fast without meat for three weeks, and he thought I was killing him. Still married my daughter, so there must be some attraction there, right? But, um, you know, like a lentil stew? Really? Like, this must be the worst trade ever. Yeah? And you start to think, why the heck would Esau do that? What was up with him? And Jacob, of course, being one of those, you know, younger children who knows how to twist everyone around their little fingers took advantage of the situation and came out on top. Yeah? But Esau can't have valued what was promised to him. See, it wasn't his yet. It didn't feel like it was his. It didn't, it didn't, he couldn't smell it. He couldn't touch it. He couldn't... It seemed like, maybe to him, it seemed like it was a long way away because people back in that day lived a lot longer than they do today. And and it just felt like it was a promise, but it was distant and not there. And what was there was his his present need. If we can just go to the next slide. I believe that Esau's... Real problem is that his presence screamed louder than his promise. And I've been a Christian for a long time and I've ministered to Christian people for a long time and I know that this is a very real issue that many people face at some stage in their life. That their present need screams louder than the promise that God has for them. And it's in that moment that many of us make a trade that is like the worst trade 
ever. Quite a few years ago, we had a single solo mum come into our church and she got saved and she had some amazing answers to prayer and on the night she got, she was, she was, um, she was riddled with anxiety, like she would have an anxiety attack and she would have to have injections and she would be out of it for three days afterwards because that was the only way to control her anxiety attacks. And on the night she was baptised, she came out of those baptismal waters and she never had another anxiety attack again. And she ended up working for me in the office and I loved her like she was my daughter. And uh, she went through some operations and I looked after her kids and, you know, like we were in and out of each other's homes and we were close, but she had a need and she felt really desperately lonely. One Christmas when we went away on holiday, we came back to find out that she had traded the promise of God for a present need. And she ended up leaving the church and moving in with a guy. And I said to her, don't do this. But her present needs screamed louder than the promise. And I heard some time later that the guy lasted a few weeks. <laughs> but by now, pride was at stake, wasn't it? And hard for her to admit that she'd made the worst trade ever. To make matters worse, I heard that he stole from her and ripped her off and I just, you know, don't make the trade. <laughs> I want to tell you, don't make the trade. See, I grew up in a Christian home and I knew what it was like to look at everybody else and to think that my parents were strict and to think that, that I was missing out. And I want to tell you, but looking back now, I see that I never missed out on a thing because the promise is greater than your present need. And in fact, your needs will be met through the promise. They just might not be met right here and right now. And I just want to sound a warning. I just want to warn you, this will happen for you. At some stage, it might not be in this area, it might be in another area of your life. It might be in, the, in, the, in, a, in a need to feel successful and so you pour yourself into work instead of into the things of God. And slowly but surely, it just God just drifts out of the picture. But really, you've made the trade. And the saddest thing about the story is that it could have, you know how all through the Bible it goes, here's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It could have said, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Esau. But instead, Esau traded the promise away. And he had no idea at that moment what that would mean long term. 
And I just want to sound an alarm. I want to give you a warning. So that when the situation arises, you can go, oh, hang on a minute. This is a temptation to do the trade. I know where this is coming from. This is nasty hairy legs trying to trip me up. Yeah? This is the trade. It happens to all of us in all different situations, but I want to say to you, what will steal the promise of grace and the inheritance of grace from you is doing the trade. Okay? Don't do the trade. Don't make the trade. The promise is greater. Okay, let's go back to this first part of the verse. And in order to do that, we're going to go to a story that you probably know, all know pretty well, and that's the story of the prodigal son. We're just going to read through it together, and then I'm going to like wrap it up at the end. Okay, Luke 15, start at verse 11. It says, Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, and the youngest son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me a share of the or estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. And with everything he spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. If we can go to the next one. The son was so famished he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realised what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here? Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I will never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Go to the next slide. So the young son sent off for home from a long distance away. His father saw him coming. Dressed as a beggar and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. And so the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly and kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Here's another story of a young man who traded, who made the trade and lost everything. But he had the good sense to come home with a repentant heart. And the good news is is that, you know, some of you might be sitting here and going, do you know what? Your warning's too late for me. I made the trade. And now I'm living with the consequences of it. And I don't know what can be done about it. I just, I want to tell you, Father God is waiting. Father God still loves you. Father God will run towards you if you run towards him. 
because that's what the inheritance of grace is all about. He gives us what we don't deserve. But there's another son in the story. And the story goes on, turning to his servants, the father said, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. And bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, and now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everybody celebrated with overflowing joy, except... We go to the next one. The older brother was out working in the field. And when his brother returned and as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servants replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. And the older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Come and enjoy the feast with us. It's the last one. Thank you. And the son said, Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son, and I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. But look at the son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a great feast for him to celebrate for him. And the father said, My son, you are always with, my, with me by my side, and everything I have is yours to enjoy. And this leads us back to our original verse because the second thing that can rob us of the gift of grace and fully experiencing the promise of grace is jealousy. And it turns into bitterness really fast. And if you have been a parent, you have come across jealousy many a times with your kids. It's not fair! I remember my daughter, she was very good at this. It's not fair! You love him more than me! My husband is not your conventional father. He does unconventional things. And I remember this one day... She was using this. She was like in his face going, she was about seven, I guess. It's not fair. You love him more than me. And my husband turned around and went, uh-huh. And she went, <gasps> and she like stood there like this. <gasps> and she looked at me and she goes, mom, you can't let him say that. He's not allowed to say that. Like she knew the rule book of parenting better than my husband did. You know? You can't leave. But do you know what? It shut her up because she knew in her heart that it wasn't true. <laughs> and he just grinned from ear to ear and walked off like he'd pulled the biggest trick on her in the world. <laughs> we walked off laughing. She just infuriated her a little bit more for a wee while until she calmed down and realised that she was being silly. It worked for her. I don't suggest you use that, by the way. <laughs> 
go, don't go home and do it again. Well, that pastor told me I should do it. It could cause long-term great emotional distress to your child, okay? <laughs> but you know, it happens in church, eh? It's not fair. Someone else gets used more than me. Someone else gets more attention than me. I'm working hard and I've got one of the most thankless jobs and nobody cares, nobody thanks me. Someone comes in who's a new Christian and they're motoring ahead and they seem to get all the all the accolades. And I can say this because I don't come to this church, so you know, you're not going, yeah, they're looking at me, they know. I don't, I don't know nothing, okay? <laughs> but I know churches and I know people. And I know myself. And I know that it's easy to creep in. And that original verse tells us that it, we've got to watch out for each other because that steals the grace. It steals knowing the love of God. For you, it steals the promise of the inheritance. It steals it away. And it just doesn't seem quite so bad, does it? It's trading your whole inheritance, but the Bible tells us that it can lead to a root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many in another version. It's actually more insidious. It sort of hides underneath it's a little bit harder to actually admit to, isn't it? Interestingly, as I've looked into these stories, I realised that actually jealousy was at the root of each of them. And each one, one was jealous that the other one had the birthright, the right to the greatest inheritance. And the other one was jealous because... They had something that they wanted. There's a really interesting verse in James that we're going to finish with. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 3, it says that what is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside you as you fight to have your own way? That is the Bible's definition of jealousy, wanting your own way. Does that sound like you? It sounds like me. Come on, it does so. You know it. And fulfill your own desires. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight all the time. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. Selfishness and jealousy are a real threat to robbing us of the grace of God. And it's really interesting that this verse actually says, and James was the brother of Jesus, if there's anyone you could be jealous of, it could be Jesus. Don't you think? I think maybe he knew what he was talking about. 
I think maybe, maybe he had to work through it. I, I, I don't know. It doesn't say that he did. But if you read between the lines, he kind of knows what he's talking about, right? He recognised that the problem was the quarrels and the fights and the stuff that was going on was actually that he wanted what someone else had, but he never really asked God for it. And it just became this mess. And it flowed over into his relationships with others. And somehow he was able to put it down in a few verses. And you read it and you go, oh my gosh, you know why? He's right. So in closing today, I want to give you some very quick tips of how you can snip jealousy in the bud. All right? Okay? So we're just going to go over it very quickly, and it will seem very, very normal, but it's true, okay? So the first one is confess. You know what? It's not news to God. Because <laughs> he sees our hearts. It's not news to God. But somehow it does something for us when we go, oh God, I am so jealous of that person. God, I feel like I'm always overlooked. God, I feel like everybody else. I feel like you've promised me. I've got this promise. You've promised me this ministry. You've promised me this thing. And I've not got it. And I look around me and I see everybody else getting it, God. I remember praying these prayers on a regular occasion when I was 27 and unmarried and everyone around me was getting married and I so wanted to get married. And you begin to think that there's something wrong, there must be something wrong with me. And other people tell you, oh, because, it's something, because there's something wrong with you. <laughs> Thanks very much. I can be my own worst enemy. I don't need you as well. You know what? Our God doesn't, he wants to hear from us. He wants to hear your greatest desires. He wants you to ask. We're told as children, aren't we? Don't nag. Right? And then it comes to God and we go, we feel like we're sinning if we ask him. And yet the Bible tells us over and over again, ask and keep on asking. Tell him. Tell him. The Bible tells us to cast all our cares upon him because he cares for us. This does something, it, look, it may not change your circumstances, but it does something for your heart in the process of the waiting for the promise. Yeah? So confess and cast and just part of casting is about trusting that God knows the timing. See, that's one of the things that I struggled with. I struggled to think that God understood the timing, you know, like, like I need it now, God. <laughs> but somehow God knew, and he brought the right person along for me at the right time, and I wouldn't trade the years of unhappiness and waiting for the happiness that I have now when I see other people who rushed in and it ended up with the wrong partner, I can tell you, rushing in. Wait for the promise. Wait for the promise. God knows best. But in the process, you've got to you ask 
and you've got to tell them and you've got to let your frustrations out or it will fester into jealousy, all right? And then you've got to, like, consider, well, what have I got? I may not have this, but what have I got? What have I got? A few years ago at conference, I met up with a woman who I hadn't seen for a long time. I knew her as a, as a teenager. Julie is her name, and she is um, involved in the Bible college up here in Auckland. And, um, and you know, and, and she was telling me that she was, that's her job now. And this tiny little thing went mm, inside. You know that feeling, don't you? It's like, oh, I'm so jealous. Because I would love to be lecturing at a Bible college. I'd love to be inputting into young people's lives who feel they have a call of God on their lives. I'd, I'd love to be able to, I'd love to do that. You know, like that's something I would love to do. And this little, mmm. And I put these three things into practice. Just, you know how you do it on the spur of the moment. It happens like in a split second. No, the, the other person doesn't realise that you're doing it, but you've been through about half an hour conversation in your head in about 30 seconds, right? No, I've got a great church. Church that lets me as a woman preach regularly. Lets me lead a lot of stuff. I had a great family, a great husband, I've got great kids. Got the privilege of having my daughter move home and her and her new husband have taken over the worship and the and the youth and they've grown the youth in one term from six kids to about twenty kids, twenty-five kids. I got so much going for me. Yeah, the church's still small. My husband's still working full time. We still struggle, but I got a lot too. And I went up to her, I stepped closer to her and I said, I am so jealous. I would love to do something like that. I did the confess and ask. I was casting it on God as I was saying it, you know. I think that is so great. Being able to input into all those kids, I, I think it's so. I just, I just think that's great for you. And do you know what it did? It enabled me to celebrate with her because what jealousy stops you from doing is celebrating with others. And in those few steps of being able to confess, being open and honest. It led me to being able to celebrate with her. And I want to tell you that if you nip it in the bud with these few steps, you will be able to celebrate with people again. Okay? And the waiting for the promise. The promise is worth the wait. Okay? Don't grade. See, the problem is, is that we either trade or we grade. Grading whether my service is greater than someone else's service or my behaviour is better, more Christian than someone else's behaviour or 
the, the amount of attention that someone else is getting is greater than the amount of attention that I get. Or the amount of blessings that God is pouring out on someone else seems to be greater than the amount of blessings that are pouring out on me. The, the, the temptation is to either trade or to grade. And as soon as you start grading the promise of God, you will lose the promise of the grace of God. Church, I know, Craig and Trinity, I know their heart. You're lucky to have them as your leaders. No pastor is perfect, but you are so lucky to have pastors who I know have a heart for you, that you would enter into the fullness of all the promises of grace that God could give you. And I'm here to warn you that at many times in your Christian life you will probably be tempted to trade or to grade And I'm telling you, that's a slippery slope to losing the grace of God. Don't lose the promise. Because what has happened in your past and your present is not greater than what is happening in your future. Your promise is future-based. Okay, Grading and trading is past and present-based. But we as Christians are called to live future-based. Yeah? Yeah? So value the grace that you've got. It might feel like it's a done-up piece of junk sometimes. It might not feel like the brand new thing that it felt like when you first got saved. But value it, because in it is a promise for a future that is greater than you could ever imagine.